0: Amen. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21, Matthew 21. I want to begin reading in uh, verse 12. Share a message entitled, And He Left Them in Matthew chapter 21 in verse 12. Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the maimed come to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou, shalt, thou hast perfected praise. And he left them, and went out of the, city, of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to have the Bible in front of us this morning. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the music we've been able to sing and be able to enjoy listening to, and uh, reminding us of the great grace of God. But were not for grace, where would we be this morning, Lord? I'm thankful that we're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, we're blessed through the grace of God, we're empowered by God's grace, we're used by God's grace. We thank you for your grace this morning. I prayed you'd speak to our hearts in a special way as we look into the Word. There may be someone with us that's not sure that they are saved. They've never experienced the grace of God working in their heart and converting their soul. I pray they would come and receive Christ as their Savior today. I pray for every believer this morning that we might be able to glean some truths out of this passage. will help us uh, to see uh, why Christ left these behind uh, because of their defilement of the temple of God. And so I prayed you'd speak to us in a special way. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide through the word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verses, verse 17. He left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. And I want to focus on that phrase, he left them. You know, as you look through the life of Jesus Christ, you'll find that Jesus, at least what is recorded for us, the first time that Jesus came to the temple was when he came as uh, an uh, eight-day-old child to be circumcised according to the law in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. The second recording that we have of Jesus coming to the temple is found in Luke chapter 2 and verse 41 and 42, where Jesus comes to Jerusalem with his parents, Joseph and Mary, to come and worship Uh, in the temple so he comes to be circumcised then he comes at least what is recorded for us is that he comes for worship the third time that Jesus it's recorded of him coming in the temple is in Luke chapter 4 verse 21 where he reads the scriptures and he reveals from the scriptures that the scriptures were being fulfilled in him and now we read of this record of Jesus coming into the temple. And as he comes into the temple, he's there with a spirit of condemnation and purification upon the temple of God because man has defiled it. He said, you, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the response of Christ in reference to them doing that was that he left the city. He left the temple and went out to Bethany. There are three basic houses or dwelling places of God in the scripture. Uh, we see in Adam, God created man in his own image. And uh, as he created man in his own image, he fellowshipped with his creation, fellowship with Adam and with Eve. And Adam would represent God dwelling in the body of man. Uh, the tabernacle would represent for us God in the Holy of Holies would be a pattern house, as Adam would be a primary house, the temple was a a pattern house. In other words, everything about the temple is a pattern of what would take place in the New Testament. Whether it be the sacrifices, whether it be the temple itself, everything in reference to the temple uh, is a pattern or a picture or a foreshadowing, if you will, of all that Christ would accomplish and what He would be in the New Testament. And so God dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the temple, and uh, that was a pattern house. Jesus Christ uh, is God in His Son, uh, which represents a perfect house. That's why Jesus said, "My and My Father are one." And literally, in the Greek, it means "one in the same." Uh, there is no separation or no division between the two. And so three basic houses of God's dwelling is in, the, in man's. Uh, we certainly understand that in the New Testament because of the fact that we ha- are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we see the, the initial response to that is Adam, God in the body, is the primary house. The tabernacle, God in the Holy of Holies, it's a pattern house. And Jesus Christ, God in his son, is the perfect house. Sin, however, caused the presence of God to leave each of them. And Jesus, as he comes into the, the temple here, really is a revelation and fulfillment to help us understand of God's reasoning for leaving the temple. In Adam, he fell into sin, and when he fell into sin, God would place him out of the garden and the fellowship of man with God. It was broken immediately because of the sinfulness of man. You think about the tabernacle, the ark of God was taken in 1 Samuel chapter 4 as the Philistines would come down against Israel and fight against them. And Israel thought the answer to the problem was to get the ark of the covenant out of the temple and bring it to the battlefield and all they did was lose the ark of the covenant and oh, uh, the, uh, and the Philistines took that, and that represented God being taken out of uh, the tabernacle. So he's removed from man, He's removed from the tabernacle. Then Jesus Christ, because of man's sins laid on him, the Father turns his face away from his son hanging on the cross. And so we see the examples going through the scriptures of what sin does, in reference to man's relationship with God. What sin does in relationship, whether we dwell in the presence of God or whether we don't. And Jesus came into his temple, into his father's house, and he saw the corruption, he saw the defilement that was going on, and he rebukes them, and then he leaves them, it says, in verse 17. So I want to think about the temple. I want to think about Uh, We as a temple of God, thinking of we as a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, uh, what the temple should be. And Jesus identifies that for us here. And certainly we can make a sound application on what the church of Jesus Christ should be. And so first of all, notice in verse 13, it was supposed to be a place of praying. In verse 13, it says, and he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Uh, I was listening to Dr. Malone preaching a message uh, uh, on the internet the other day, and uh, he was talking about a fellow who had a large church, and he asked him, he said, uh, how, what can you attribute to the, the size of your church and all that's going on in your church? And he said, I was supposing him to say soul winning uh, strong Sunday school, uh, giving all this different information about how they went about building the church. And the fellow, he said this, the pastor just simply respond, uh This place is a product of prayer. We're a praying church. And I think we have forgotten in 2019 the significance of being a praying church, of being individuals who pursue and seek after God completely. In prayer, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I believe that God wants us to talk to him in prayer. And I think we lose the presence of God. I don't believe we lose the salvation of God. I believe we lose the blessings of God when I say we lose the presence of God. Because if God is not present, you do not enjoy the blessings. And so our lives are to be lives, uh, demonstrates people of prayer and our church, as an organization, as a body, as a congregation, needs to be a praying congregation—a congregation that's going after God and pursuing God, knowing that we cannot accomplish anything unless God moves. So, if it's supposed to be a place of prayer, it's what Jesus said: "My house is to be supposed to be a house of prayer." Uh, notice some things about praying. Praying, first of all, involves communication. You say, why do I need to pray? Uh, because of the fact that you need to communicate with God. Uh, you need to talk with the Lord. And if we're not willing to communicate with God, how are we going to be will, able to hear what he has, his will is and what he wants to accomplish in our life? A church that uh, is negligent in praying is a church who is not talking to God. A, a, an individual believer who is not praying, is an individual who is neglecting the great privilege that God has given us to talk with the creator of this universe. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, says, "Be, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And so that tells us that we are to be communicating with God in everything how we deal with everything, how we get over anxiety in life, how we deal with the pressures in life, that everything, through everything, how? By prayer and supplication. And so talking with God about it, speaking to the Lord, revealing your burdens, and knowing that God hears our prayers and God will respond to us. And so it is our, our whole existence and being as believers in Christ, revolves around our ability to communicate with our God. So it involves communication. It also involves duration. In other words, it involves time. You know, to pray, you have to take time to pray. You know, it's amazing to me. We'll take time for everything in our life, but we won't take time to pray. Oh, we'll talk about it. We we'll say, well, we need to pray, but we won't take time to pray. Uh, how much time did you take this morning just to get alone with the Lord and pray? before he came to church this morning how much time did you take well we got up a little late we had to hurry up and get to church we were running late and uh well that's not the question how much time did you take to communicate with god uh, then what's going to make a difference in our lives is our time that we invest in speaking to the lord and uh, you can't redeem the time once time is gone it's gone once this day is over, it is over. You cannot get it back, no matter how hard you try. So you need to be talking with God for a good while so that you might be able to discern his will. Psalm 55 and verse 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. It might be good sometimes just for you to get off somewhere by yourself And cry out aloud to the Lord. You ever talk to God out loud? I mean, there's been times I've cried out to God. Hey, Lord, I'm down here. Remember me. I need your help. And how we need to cry out to God in the morning, in the evening, at noontime. There is an investment in our life of communicating with God every moment of the day as we have the opportunities to do so. And so it's setting the time apart to be able to talk to the Lord. And so Jesus is rebuking them because of the fact they got all caught up in the business of the temple. They got all caught up in selling and buying things and sacrifices and all those things they got all caught up in the ceremonies of the Old Testament requirements for the Jew to observe in the temple, but they had neglected setting time apart to be able to pray and talk with their God. And the greatest of disservice that we experience in our life is forgetting that God wants us to take time in prayer in talking with him. I always tell our teachers that before they start their class, they need to pray. And uh, I know we only have 50-minute class. I know we have a lot of material that we need to go through. I know there is a lot that needs to be accomplished. But you will not get done what you need to get done if you don't take the time to pray. And we need to talk with the Lord, and God will work out the time schedule for us. And so it involves duration. A place of praying also involves meditation. Uh, Meditation is just simply kind of relaxing and and, uh, reminiscing, if you will, letting the word of God go over and over in your mind. It's kind of like a cow chewing her cud. You know, a cow will chew on the grass and eat that grass and she'll swallow down a good old ball of cud. And after she's laying there for a while, you'll see her kind of burp a little bit and you'll see it come up through the throat. And all of a sudden, she just starts chewing. She's just as happy as a lark, amen? And uh, she's just enjoying what she had experienced prior. And wouldn't it be great if we could do that, amen? I guess not. But meditation, thinking about God, reading over his word, letting it come back to your mind. Praying and meditating on, in the presence of the Lord is allowing God to refresh your memory. Listen, God can't refresh something that you didn't put in. And so we need to memorize the Word of God. We need to know what the Word of God has to say. So when we face that tragedy, when we face that difficulty in life, when we start going before God, we don't know what to say. I don't know about you, but there's been many times I had to go to God in prayer and I absolutely did not even know what to say before the Lord. I have prayed many times just, Lord, I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know how to respond and have to sit there and meditate on who our God is and what he can do and then he fresh, refreshes our memory just like that cow regurgitates that cud. So i uh, just give you a, a biological lesson today in horticulture, amen. Anyway, oh, uh, Psalm 63 and 6 says, When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches, uh, there is nothing more refreshing than when you have nowhere to turn, when everything's falling apart, you don't have the strength to get up and get going, That in the night watches, you can meditate on who God is and he restores my soul. I'm thankful for the restoration of God. I'm thankful for the ministering of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for the privilege of prayer because I can meditate on who God is and what he can do in my life. Notice not only that, but it involves evaluation. As I'm meditating on the Lord and taking the time to do so, as I talk with him and allow God to talk to me, it requires of me to evaluate who I am and where I am in relationship to the Lord. And I, I need to meditate on who he is, but I must meditate on who I am. That's why in the Psalms, Psalm 139 and 23, David cried out and said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And so, letting God evaluate us. You know, you know, it's interesting. We like to tell God how good we are. Uh, why don't you just listen to what God has to say about you? Uh, the re- reality is, God says we're all sinners. And God reminds us that the reason why we are delivered and why we can go to heaven is because of his grace. So, search me, Lord. I need you to show me what, what is not right. We have communion every month, and uh, the first Sunday in the month, one Sunday in the morning, one Sunday in the evening, we rotate that back in the fourth, and, and communion really is a great time for us to reminisce about who we are in Christ. Where am I? What am I? God, am I, am I walking with you? Am I not walking with you? What needs to be corrected in my life? Search me. I have found this, when you ask God to search you, he'll bring some things up. I remember years ago, I had a prayer event. Someone had said uh, they never Um, sinned. They weren't a sinner. And I thought, boy, they're in trouble big time. They need to get to a place of meditating before God and let God do the evaluation. Let's just stop talking about who we are and let God tell us who we are. And if we'll let the scriptures be revealed in our life and we'll meditate on what God has said, God will show us what needs to be corrected. I I know years ago when I first started in ministry, I just felt like I was the Holy Spirit. I just remember I used to chase people around. I was, you know, I wasn't spying on people, but you're always wanting to look for uh, uh, as a pastor, whether people are living godly or not. And all this, that, and the other. And I realized this. I had an older preacher. I talked to him. and my frustration. And he told me, he said, Mike, you ain't the Holy Spirit. He said, all you are is the messenger boy. Get up and preach the word of God. The Holy Spirit will do business in people's hearts. The Holy Spirit will reveal in people who they are and what they need to do. You don't need to do that. And I realized that that very quickly, that I was burning myself out because I was trying to be the evaluator of people. And it's God who evaluates us. And I I found in my early Christian life, I have to be careful even now that I have a tendency to remind God about how good I am. And then he reminds me how wicked I am. And I'm telling you, Uh, We just need to go before God in prayer so we can get a proper evaluation. And God will search our hearts and he'll reveal to us who we are and what our needs are. So it involves evaluation. You know, I find this, most of us don't like to be evaluated. You know, certainly when you have employees and you want to sit down and talk with someone, you want to evaluate their time of employment and their job that they're doing, people don't like to hear negative things. We live in a world today where everything's got to be positive. But the reality is everything's not positive. The reality is I don't do everything right. The reality is there are times I need to correct things. There are times when I need to be rebuked and every one of us need to be reminded God is the rebuker. He is the judge. He is the one who ministers grace and mercy to us to correct us so that we might be able to be all that he wants us to be. And so it involves evaluation. Not only that, but it involves Confession. Once there's confession, I mean evaluation, then we need to acknowledge that. Psalm 32, 5 says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. When God, when you meditate before the Lord, and you spend time talking with God, You allow God to evaluate your heart. You know what happens? It's an automatic response is confession. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm a sinful man. Peter's response to Jesus was depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And you read of these great preachers of the New Testament. You read of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And you see when God evaluated them and they realized who they were in reality in comparison to their God, it was very easy for them to confess. And Psalm 32 in verse 5 tells us he acknowledged his sin before the Lord. And do I have that on there, April? Psalm 32, 132, 5? 32 huh? Oh, where did that come from? <laughs> Involves confession. Well, actually, Psalm 32 goes, I messed that up. Intercession, that's the next one. Amen. And involves confession. Comp- I don't have intercession on there? Wow. Whew. Man, I'm losing it. Lord, help me. Help me. <laughs> Amen. Confession. Once we get clean with God, then we'll start talking with the Lord, interceding for others. After confession comes intercession. Colossians 1.9 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so the place of prayer is talking with the Lord, interacting, communicating with him for a long time, short time, whatever the time is. You invest time in the talking with God, and because of you're taking that time, you're meditating on what he has said because it will evaluate your heart. And when the evaluation is clear, there's an immediate response of confession. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's an immediate confession. And now I'm burdened for others and I start to intercede for others also. And so the uh, temple was to be a house of prayer. Our church is to be a house of prayer. Our lives, are be we're the temple of the Holy Ghost, are to be temples of prayer. And so it was a place of, for praying. In verse 14, notice, it was a place for healing. In verse 14, it says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And so here is oh, uh, this uh, temple, was a place where Jesus was, and they came and they were healed of him. The healing that took place Of course, it was by Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. And so healing is of God. It does not come by man, but rather it comes by the Lord. And James chapter 5 in verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And so prayer is a place in the temple, but healing also is experienced by the healing of God. And uh, it was healing took place because it would bring glory to God. In John chapter 9, when the blind man uh, was uh, before Jesus, and Jesus will heal him and get his sight, the disciples was asked, asked Jesus, why did this happen? Why was this man born blind? Uh, who did sin, this man or his parents? And Jesus' response to them was, Neither he nor his parents had sinned, but for the glory of God, this had taken place. And Jesus would heal him and give him sight, and God would feel, uh, experience the glory, would receive the glory. And so healing is, is not for a show, and it's not for making money, and it's not for having a big service. Healing is done by God And it's done for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And I've seen people over the the years healed. And I know that God can heal in accordance with his perfect will. If God will get glory, then we know that God can change people's lives. And he can bring physical healing in people's lives. But healing uh, was also to show the need of salvation. Uh, Because here is Jesus as the lame are coming and and the halt are coming before the Lord. Uh, they're crying out, Hosanna, to the son of David. They're crying out, save, Lord. That's what they're cry- Hosanna means, save, Lord. And they're crying out. So it shows the need of salvation. And uh, when Jesus hit, healed the paraplegic in the book of Mark, uh, they rebuked him for that because he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they rebuked him because they said, You're blaspheming because only God can forgive sins. And the response of Jesus was that you may know that the Son of Man hath power to forgive sins on the earth. He saith unto the sick of palsy, take up thy bed, arise, and walk, and he was healed. So healing not only is of God and is for the glory of God, healing shows the need of salvation. It is only God who can deliver. It is only God who can save, and so we need to be reminded of the salvation of the Lord. But healing that took place in the life of Jesus in the temple offended many people. Many people were displeased. In verse 15 it says, and they were sore displeased. I'm always shocked by that. But every time I read that statement, they were sore displeased. You're sore displeased because a lame person now can walk. You're sore displeased because a man who was blind can now see. You're sore displeased because the one who was deaf now can hear. You're sore displeased because the one who was lost and demon possessed is now set free and assured that heaven is their home. But the reality is that people get upset when people get saved. People get upset when people start to experience a move of God. I, Pastor Dwan and I were talking about this this morning. And oftentimes, uh, when God starts moving in a church, people start getting upset. It's happened every church I pastor. All of a sudden, people start getting saved, people start coming into the church, and all of a sudden, some of the people aren't people that maybe you want in church. Or all of a sudden, you look up and there's people coming in the church, and you can't sit in the seat that you desire to sit in anymore. Boy, I tell you, that is the most sacrilegious thing that can ever happen is you lose your seat in the church, amen? But how, people, I've had it, I've had it happen. I, I tell you one thing right now. When God wants to do something miraculous, he shakes up everybody, and he gets the glory, and I say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, shake us up, amen? And so it was a place of healing. Don't get mad because somebody gets saved. I've watched over the years. I've had ladies in our church and men in our church, vice versa. Uh, They they are saved and they tell me for years they want their spouse saved and they pray for their spouse to be saved and then their spouse gets saved and gets fired up for God, starts coming to church and doesn't want to go home, wants to get involved in church, and now the spouse is upset. (laughs) I'm like, how can you do that? This is what you prayed for? I'm telling you, when God comes on the scene, he changes everything. And so the house of God, the temple, Jesus rebuked them because it was to be a place of prayer. It was to be a place of healing. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a salvation station here, amen? And we want people to be healed here. Well, it was also to be a place of praise. And he said unto them, Hearest thou what they, these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And so the temple was to be a place of praise. Uh, you know, 260 times the Bible says praise, praised, praises, or praising. 260 times. It speaks in reference to us giving praise unto our God. And I think sometimes we Baptists are scared to death to do so. We're so afraid of being called a charismatic, we wouldn't get excited if our life depended upon it. Uh, we're, We're so worried that something may be out of order, and it may not be in our comfort zone, that we refrain from getting excited about the things of God. But the house of God is to be a place of praise. 260 times. Uh let me give you twenty-two of them. No, I won't do that. Just a few here. They were to praise God in the gates. In other words, in the entering in of the city, there was to be praise going on. Psalm 9 and 14, hopefully I have all these in the right order. So that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in thy salvation. Where you enter in. I'm going to praise the Lord. Uh, Man, when people come in the church, they ought to be able to be walking into a spirit of praise and worship and adoration of God. I mean, when people come into your house, it shouldn't be a place of oppression. It ought to be a place of expression of the glory of God. I just thought of that. I thought it sounded pretty good. Anyway, we ought to be entering in our gates Wherever we're going into, we ought to be praising God and being excited about it. Notice that also we ought to be praising God with musical instruments. In 1 Chronicles chapter 23 and 5, it says, And 4,000 praised the Lord with instruments, which I made, said David, to praise therewith. Boy, I'd like to see 4,000 people in here with instruments praising the Lord. Amen. And uh, listen, if you play an instrument, you need to use it for God. You say, I don't play an instrument. Then learn how, amen? We need people to praise God with the instruments. God wants to be worshiped. He wants to be praised, and we need to do that. Some people, you know, some churches, oh, we can't have nothing but a piano. That's all you got to do is play the piano. No, no, I remember we put these projectors up. I had people telling me that we were getting liberal because we are putting projectors up. I remember we put an electric piano up here. People, there were some people upset because of electric piano in the church. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Anyway, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm strange. But I'm telling you one thing right now. Uh, there needs to be a loosening, uh, a not of compromise. I'm talking about a loosening of our tongues and a loosening of our lips and a loosening of our fingers to play some instruments and sing some praises unto our God. You know, they sang praise... Among the people. And so you need to be praised. You know, I, I loved it when I was in Bible college. We didn't, None of us had any money. We used to go over to each other's houses. And we'd go over this one person. We'd go over. He played the guitar. His wife played the piano. They sang special music. And I'll tell you, we'd go over to their house. And we'd sit around. And we didn't gossip. We didn't talk about the problems. Uh, we didn't uh, degrade the church or tear apart the college. Uh, We didn't make fun of each other. We didn't turn on the television. We didn't turn on the radio. We all just sat around and sang songs of praise unto our God. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be like. We're supposed to be praising God together. And Psalm uh, 57 and 9 says, I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. You know, some of your lost family would get saved, I believe, if they would see you praising God once in a while. Getting exci- Man, it's getting quiet in here. Wasn't too loud to begin with, and I'm just really cutting her off here. But praising God. We ought to be excited about it, and we ought to be praising the Lord. Need to praise the Lord all day long. Psalm 35 and 28 says, All my tongues shall speak of thy It says, and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and thy praise all the day long. Wow, I'm just having a bad day at work. It didn't say, oh, you're excused from praising God because you're having a bad day. No, it says, I will praise God all day long. And that's in the good times. That's in the bad times. That's when you're tired. That's when you're refreshed. That's when everything's going right. That's when everything is going wrong. I will praise God. Oh, He is worthy of our praise no matter what's going on in our life. Amen, preacher. (laughs) Our praise needs to be directed towards God. Psalm 43 and 4. Says then will I go unto the altar of God and unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise Thee, O my God, O God, my God. Our praise is towards God. Our praise isn't towards man. Well, when somebody's singing music, somebody's testifying, it has nothing to do with them. And you know, sometimes I think people get so over pious that they just, they just think that, wait a minute, well, you know, I, just, I don't want to get excited about singing because if I get excited singing, people are going to want to praise me. Don't worry, they won't. <laughs> it would be nice if we get some praise going on where we're directing our worship and our praise towards the Lord and not worrying about man. And I think the worst ones that we have is that we worry about ourselves Stop worrying about yourself. Focus on God and the direction will go right. Amen? Well, we're supposed to praise with joy. Jeremiah thirty-three eleven says, The voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. I just need to be happy. You need to be excited. We've been singing some little courses to start off the service. They're just happy courses. I remember singing those when we first got saved. We used to sing those things. I thought, boy, this is so exciting. It's so joyful. It's so expressive. We just need to be happy in the Lord. Leave your woes and your troubles outside. Don't worry. They'll be waiting for you when you go back out. You don't need to bring them in the temple of God. You don't need to bring them in the house of God. You get in the in the presence of God. Get happy in the Lord. Amen. I Man, I've been in preaching meetings where people were shouting, amen, and waving handkerchiefs in the air. I mean, to tell you, I remember I was at one meeting when I was in Bible college, a sword conference. I was so sick. I didn't have any toilet paper, I mean, any old, uh, tissues with me. I didn't have any handkerchief with me. I mean, I was in Bible college. You couldn't afford anything, amen. And I went down over to the bathroom, and I just got started pulling out the toilet paper, amen. And I'm sitting in the church and they're shouting, amen. They're waving their handkerchiefs and everything. I got my, my toilet paper. Amen. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. I thought I was going to die in that church service, but I'm going to tell you, I got happy in the Lord real quick, amen. I need to praise of God with his word. Psalm 5610 says in God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. I'm so thankful for the word of God. If it wasn't for the word of God, I wouldn't be saved. Need to praise his name. Psalm 9 and 2. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. You know, the world sings about divorce. It sings about drugs. It sings about murder. It sings about disrespect. It sings about despising authority. It sings about all kinds of gross, immoral things. We sing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise is to be for every generation. So praise isn't supposed to stop with us old people. It's supposed to go to the next generation. Psalm 45 and 4 says, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare Thy mighty acts. Young people in here, I tell you, my desire, my goal is to stir you up so you start praising God. You need to get excited in the Lord. God's done great things in your life, and you have your whole life in front of you. You have a magnificent God that's all-powerful who wants to do something miraculous in you. We need to pray. Here's the last one. We need to praise because of who he is. Psalm 28 and 7 The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. Then Isaiah 42 and 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither will I praise, and neither my praise to graven images. God's not going to share his praise. God's not sharing with who he is, dividing himself up with a corrupt world. He said, I get the praise. It's my name that's worshipped. It's generation to generation directs their praise to me. And Jesus, when he came into the temple, they had abandoned the concept of the temple being a house of prayer. They had abandoned the concept that the temple was a place for healing. And they had turned their back on the reality that the temple was to be a place of praise unto their God. And as a result of it, Jesus just turned and walked out of the city. He walked out of the temple. The quickest way for God to be removed in your life, the blessings of God to be hindered in your life, Is you forget that God wants you to pray. God wants you to praise him. And God wants to heal. And when we forget that. He just walks away. Because when you forget that. You're basically living unto yourself. And God wants all the praise. He wants all the glory. He wants all the acknowledgement. And he'll work in our life. I don't want Jesus to turn and walk away. I don't want the blessings of God to be removed. I want the blessings of God to continue to flow. Let's bow for prayer. My Father, thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. Many blessings, Lord. I'm thankful that we can be saved and know that we're saved. And it's because of the grace of God. So much in the scriptures directs us to a life of surrender. So, Lord, help us to surrender everything to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.